0: This Sunday, Catholics all around the world begin the new liturgical year, 2022, and we begin the season of Advent as the beginning of the liturgical year. God owns time. God created earthly time, and God doesn't just connect with earthly time from some heavenly distance. God is very much deeply involved in every second of earthly time, the most powerful reality of that is what we're about to celebrate. In a few minutes, through the power of the Holy Spirit, God is going to transform that bread and that wine into the real presence of Jesus Christ. The Last Supper that took place in earthly time 2,000 years ago will continue in this present time the sacrifice of Jesus to bring salvation to this world 2,000 years ago will actually become really present in human time. God gives us this unbelievable gift. That is similar for the liturgical year. People have experienced over time that this isn't just a human invention. It's a revelation by God cooperating with human beings, with whom human beings have, have cooperated, Sunday by Sunday, we are meant to come and worship and to have through the course of the year some of the central truths of who Jesus is, not just come into our ears, but unfold in our lives. The question is always, what are we going to do with this grace? So I'm really glad you're here, and I hope that you will dive with me deeply into this new liturgical year. The beginning, first season of the liturgical year is Advent. Advent, the word, comes from the Latin adventus, which means coming. We happen to live in the Northern Hemisphere, where the church's liturgical tradition basically developed. In the Northern Hemisphere these days, we're experiencing the greatest physical darkness in terms of hours of sunlight... We have the fewest hours of sunlight in the course of the calendar this month. If you are sensitive to that, or if you just notice it, you naturally feel a need or a desire for more sunlight. If you have a basic brain, you know very well from experience that toward the end of this month, after the winter solstice, there is going to be an increase in sunlight in our lives. All of this is because God orders things this way. Advent is really very, very similar, which is, I'm sure, why Advent is during this season. Experience has shown that in the end of this month, when we begin the Christmas season of grace, Jesus, for real, is going to come to this planet in a new way to offer to be reborn in us. Yes, Jesus was born 2,000 years ago, Yes, about 2,000 years ago, he brought definitively salvation to this world, and yet this world still has a lot of darkness. We have largely not accepted the salvation that Jesus offers as a human race. All of us are sinful. All of us are limited. I've got plenty of darkness in my life, and we clearly do as a church. This is real, and it's unfortunate. I and we, we and I have a real need for the Son of God, S-O-N, for Jesus Christ to be reborn in us, guaranteed, as absolutely guaranteed as the winter solstice during the Christmas season of grace. So Christmas in our faith tradition, it's not just one day, it's a two-plus week season of grace. Jesus will offer to be reborn in anybody who's open to that. How will that unfold? No one has a clue. When will that unfold? No one has a clue. It's not like during the Christmas season, I expect that one day I'm gonna wake up and bang, I feel Jesus has been reborn in me. But I can tell you and many of you can tell others from experience that if we open ourselves to this grace, it will unfold. And so Advent is purely the season to prepare for the coming of that grace. We'll do that Sunday by Sunday hearing scripture passages that get right into people's preparing for various comings of Jesus. Toward the end of the season of Advent, we'll enter into the experience of the people who prepared for the actual birth of Christ. There was a hint of that in the first reading we heard from Jeremiah. The next two Sundays, we'll hear from John the Baptist as he prepares people for the coming of the adult Jesus into their lives. And this Sunday will begin this week focusing on the very same thing we have the most recent weeks at the end of the previous liturgical year, the second coming of Jesus at the end of time. So all of us, if we've been engaged, which I think most of us have in recent weeks, we should be really ready to do this. The gospel passage we just heard is Luke 21. It's Luke's version of the very same material that we heard two weeks ago in Mark 13. So again, this should be familiar. Jesus here is telling his first disciples and us in the most direct possible way what is going to happen at the end of human history. At the end of human history, Jesus assures us there are going to be celestial troubles. Terrible things will happen in the sky with the sun, with the stars. Terrible things naturally will occur on this planet, people will be in dismay because the powers of heaven are being shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man, Jesus, returning to this earth in a cloud with power and great glory. And you and I know when Jesus returns, he will judge the living and the dead. He will judge people who have already been brought to heaven or hell for eternal spiritual and physical destiny, and he will judge whoever's left on this planet. Human history will be brought to its completion. In that passage, Jesus says, people will die of fright. The Greek verb is also faint from fright when all of this takes place. But Christians, people who are actually Jesus's disciples, not just people who are baptized, people who are actually living as his disciples will not be afraid. In fact, Jesus says, you will stand erect and lift, raise your head because your redemption is at hand. Redemption means to be saved. Jesus, who has saved us from everything that separates us from God, Jesus, who has saved us already from death, from eternal death, our Redeemer, our redemption, a person, is at hand. With me, with me? Or shall I begin this all over again? With me? Yes. All right, so there are three instructions, direct instructions from Jesus in that passage about what to do to prepare for his second coming. This week, for whatever else you're doing in your Advent prayer, I invite you to follow these three instructions entirely directly each day. I've posted these on our social media, so you don't need to do the work. You don't need to be paid the big bucks. It's right there for you, or you can just open up this passage again. So... One, two, three. The first one has the most detail. Number one, Jesus says, beware that your hearts do not become drowsy. Your heart, remember from the scripture. Our hearts mean in the scripture our souls, the depths of our being, the core of who we are. The core of a Christian is supposed to be absolutely alive. We are supposed to be pulsating with the love of Jesus Christ. We're supposed to be receiving his love and returning his love by actively trying to build his kingdom on this planet. Your heart, if you're an actual disciple of Jesus, is meant to be completely alive. Beware, Jesus says, because that is not necessarily the case. Your heart can become drowsy. Literally in Greek, it's weighed down by, are you ready? Carousing and drunkenness and the anxieties of daily life. Your supposed to be vibrant life as a Christian, in fact, can become weighed down because of carousing and drunkenness. Take it directly. That's about booze. It's about drugs. It's about sex. It's about, in our day and age, entertainment. It's about gaming. It's about all these screen fixations that we have. A Christian is not supposed to be someone sitting in the corner eating a cracker unhappy. A Christian is supposed to enjoy the pleasures of life. But the straight-out fact is, the pleasures of life can become way too much in our lives. We can become way overindulgent. We can become lost in these realities. And is it possible for me to be a really vibrant Christian... But to have at the same time my soul overburdened by pleasures, it is not possible. I'm not the eternal judge. But if the eternal judge returns today, is he going to find a lot of us wasted? Is he going to find a lot of us unable to lift ourselves out of our chairs, our steel-enforced American chairs? Is he going to find a lot of us so busy with screens that we wouldn't even know to look up? Is he going to find a lot of us in our parents' basements so fixated on these consoles that we don't even know where the stairs are anymore to get out of the basement? Yes, I think he is. So I intend this week to be more honest about how I am drunken and carousing with the pleasures of life, and I'm going to try to shake it up. Do not allow, beware, that your hearts become drowsy from the anxieties of life hopefully we can all relate to this, right? Life is filled with plenty of troubles, challenges, difficulties. They prompt anxiety in all of us. A Christian is not someone who's supposed to be carefree or anxiety-free, but it is absolutely, I think the key thing in here is the daily life. Just the regular daily anxieties can take such a disproportionate place in our lives where they're not supposed to be. Why am I thinking about my boss at night? Why am I so torn up about politics? Why am I so fixated on this person or that person who bothers me? Why am I so filled with anxiety? Because it's natural. You cannot be overwhelmed by anxiety and be building Jesus's kingdom the way you're supposed to. So this week again I invite you to join me Just when you recognize your daily anxiety, recognize it, name it, this is what it is, check in quickly with Jesus to see if he has some guidance, either do something or let it go. This week, I will acknowledge my anxiety and I will let it go more because I want to be focused on preparing for his coming. If he comes today, are some people going to be so fixated on their anxiety that they're not going to stand erect and raise their faces, I think so. And I don't want to be one of those people. So that's instruction number one. Next two are quicker. Number two, Jesus says to prepare for his second coming, be vigilant at all times. This is supposed to be Christianity 101. We're going to pray it like we do in every mass in the creed, and we're going to pray it after the Our Father. I should... At the beginning of the day, the end of the day, the middle of the day, any other time, remind myself, Jesus Christ is coming to bring earthly history to its completion, to judge the living and the dead. He assures us that no one but God the Father knows the day or the hour. A Christian is supposed to acknowledge he may come today at all times. That's it. If you can remind yourself of this more this week, one day at a time, I can almost guarantee you your behavior will be affected by that. If he's coming today, I'm sure behaving very differently than I otherwise might. Third and finally, the instruction from Jesus to prepare for his second coming is to pray for the strength to escape the tribulations that are imminent and to stand before the Son of Man. Pray to escape going to hell. And pray to be able to stand before Jesus and to be judged for eternal life. Pray for the strength, which only can come from God, to live a holy, moral, honest life of integrity. Pray for the strength to live an authentically Christian life. If you listen to St. Paul in the second reading, if you're already doing it, do it more. Whatever that means, you God knows and God will hopefully show you. Do it more. Pray for the strength to escape the tribulations that are in, imminent and to stand before the Son of Man. I encourage you to do each of those three things each day this week. And let me just be sure you get this. If you do this, you are doing directly what the Son of God wants you to do for his second coming. If he comes today, great, you can be prepared. If he doesn't come today, he is coming in the grace of the Christmas season. It is absolutely guaranteed. He is coming and he wants to be reborn in you. If you prepare for his second coming and he doesn't come before Christmas, you can be prepared for that grace. Thank you for listening. To learn more and to get involved, go to SaintPatrickParish.com.